Okay. Hello, welcome to the pilot episode of the Pyramid Podcast, uh, a new podcast coming to you to discuss all things on the English Football League Pyramid. But if honest, we will cover any top stories across the game. Uh, my name is Alex Murphy, but you'll hear me referred to as Murph in this, uh, and I'm a long-suffering Man United and Yeovil Town fan. Let's introduce you to the other members of the pod, and I'll start with Laura. Yeah, evening, chaps. I just want to start by saying that I'm glad that we finally got a space here, right, and a forum where all of our football chat and opinions are recorded, and more importantly, you have accountability for them. Because the amount of times that I've had to listen, right, to your crap, crap shouts over the last few years, and then they get forgotten about when they never come to fruition, and 99.9% of the stuff that I say comes up trumps, and again, it fizzles into the distance, all right? So say what you think, don't be scared, but just remember at the end of the year, I'll find you. Um, secondly, my passion of football is spearheaded by two fantastic football clubs. One is Yeovil Town, which is my hometown club. Um, supported them since I was young, been to the game since I was young. Um, the other one is Leeds United, which is more of a family collection. But again, watched them on TV, taken down the pub to watch them all my life. So um, both of them got relegated last year. Hopefully both of them will uh, bring more success this year. and We'll have more fun speaking about them on this podcast. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Lauro. I think you get a sense of his passion there. Uh, and then next, hand over to uh, Tomo. Uh, yeah. Hi, guys. Um, so, yeah, my name's Tom. I run the Twitter accounts that you might have heard of, Football Tweets and Deadline Day Live. I've uh, been running those pages for 10 years, do nothing but speak about football online. So now I thought we'd bring it to the um, audio space. Um, looking forward to getting called out on many of my poor football shouts by Lauro and by the host Murph. Um, and yeah, just like Murph, I'm a Man United fan, excited for the new season. Eric Ten Hag is having a good transfer window, um, as we'll discuss further. And yeah, looking forward to looking forward to get getting getting started, boys. Great stuff. Cheers, mate. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Tomo and I, two Man United fans, born and bred in Somerset, um, <laughs> so local club. Uh, but probably the only place to start really tonight. So, uh, hot off the press, uh, press release that Andre Onana signed for Manchester United. Uh, he's had to say that to join Manchester United is an incredible honour. Walking out at Old Trafford to defend our goal and contribute to the team will be another amazing experience. So, yeah, Tomo, over to you to get your views. Um, well, he's a great signing. Um, he's, he's another example of Eric Ten Hag completely overhauling our style of play. Um, this time last year, we had David De Gea in goal. Great servant for the club. Great goalie. But let's be honest, he's terrible with his feet and he, and he was prone to an error anywhere with his hands. And then you had at left centre-back, you had Harry Maguire, who... I mean, he can't kick the ball with his left foot. So why is he playing left centre half? And obviously he's brought in Lissandro Martinez last year so that we can progress the ball um, from the back. So Anana's just another example of that. Is he quite expensive? I mean, I've just posted on our Deadline Day Live page, he is the third most expensive goalkeeper of all time. Um, he's he's way cheaper than Kepa though. So yeah, um, what, what is that top 10? Yeah, so you've got Kepa at 80 million or 80 million euros. 
He's obviously the most expensive and I'll probably give him a one out of 10 sign in. And then you've got Allison at two at 62.5 million, like probably one of Jurgen Klopp's most important and best signings at Liverpool. Buffon at four, 52.8 million, but that was in 2001 um, for Juventus. So imagine how much he would cost when you take into consideration inflation and how crazy the market is these days. And then at five, you've got Edison at 40 million, which I think we can all agree has been another good signing, well, a great signing for Man City. Um, yeah. But I, I would I would suggest, and you guys can come in and agree with me on this, but Anana is basically the sort of Edison signing for Eric Ten Hag. Like um, Pep Guardiola tried to do it in his first season when he got rid of Joe Hart and brought in Claudio Bravo. It didn't work, so he went straight out, bought Edison, and it brought them success. This We've given, or Ten Hag's given De Gea the chance to to prove to him that he can be that type of goalie. And although he did, he did do it sort of half decent at, at spells last year, towards the end of last season, his, his form dipped. And I think we've made the right decision to bring in a goalkeeper who's more than capable to, to play out from the back. What do you think? Yeah, I'll be honest, chaps, I hate it. Um, hate the signing. And I'm not just saying that because you boys are Man United fans. You know, I'll be honest. Um, I googled Andre Anano earlier, just thought I'd... <laughs> honestly, I just thought I'd see the first thing that Wikipedia come up with. And it was that he was sent home from the Cameroon squad in the World Cup for poor discipline under Rigobo Song. So, look, you definitely needed a goalkeeper. The end of the cycle was done with, with David De Gea. He's always had a howler in him. But some of the ones he was doing last season, I think I think West Ham, when Ben Rama toe-poked one from about 30 yards, and it wasn't even a howler. It's just the only only way that could go in is if you were half asleep. So he needed to go. A new keeper needed to come in um, if it wasn't going to be Dean Henderson, which I'm guessing if he's not going to be number one, he's going to be on his way. Um, so you're right to spend some money on a goalkeeper, but I've got to be honest with you, I do not see Andre Onana, who I think played about 28 games for Inter Milan last year, being the the Edison or the Allison um, that you're looking for. Yeah, and Murph, let me just come in here quickly. So I was doing doing a bit of research on Onana myself as well, and I come across that basically the reason why he's um, sort of down tools or not in favour with Cameroon is because he... He basically refused to not play out from the back. Rigobert Song, the manager, um, wanted a sort of route one goalie. And Anana just said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to play my own game. And Samuel Etu, who is the president of the um, Cameroonian FA, also has a big personal grudge with Onana. So I don't know if that te- I don't, yeah, I don't know if that tells you he's 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 a bad egg or whether or not. <laughs> He has got a strong mindset and he believes his own sort of, he believes in his own, in, in himself and his own abilities. So, and obviously the fact that he's worked under Eric Ten Hag before gives me more encouragement that obviously their relationship's good already. So I don't see it being a problem, to be honest. So where where in that list did Onana rank in expensive goalkeepers? Third. Yeah, third most third. expensive of all time. Above I'll, Edison. Of all time. Above Edison. Um, above Buffon, above Courtois, above Neuer, above Ramsdale. Look, I don't like I said, I don't want to be negative with you boys. No one else has signed him somewhere near 60 million. No, with add-ons. sorry, with add ons, I think it gets up somewhere near that. 
with add-ons. Okay. I well, just sometimes look. Sometimes you just got to take a gut feeling. And mine on Onana um, is that the Cameroonian goalkeeper sent home for discipline in December may not quite be what you're looking for um, in order for success in that area. But I, I hope I'm proven wrong um, because you need a decent goalkeeper. Yeah. Um... If Rigobert Song's looking for a goalkeeper who don't want to play out from the back, then maybe you can approach De Gea to uh, change his nationality. <laughs> uh, right, OK. So, yeah, my my view on that is is the uh, very limited exposure of watching him, but watched him in the Champions League final and think he is the greatest goalkeeper of all time uh, and will lead us to the quadruple next year. So, glad we've covered that one off. Um, so on the topic of top five signings by position, uh, probably best to move on now to uh, Man City. Uh, and they've signed a centre-back, Tomo, or on the cusp of signing a centre-back, uh, who is going to, I believe, go in at number one for defenders. Yeah, so Josco Guavadal is um, pretty much sealed and signed and delivered. Um Barring a massive change, that will go through. And um, the reports are that Leipzig will get their 100 million euros um, valuation for him, which is comes to about 90 million quid, which makes him the most expensive defender in history. Now, <laughs> if you want to do a quick search uh, on your Twitter page, just type in Guavadal Messi, Croatia, Argentina, and see what... <laughs> Of what the greatest player of all time did to him in that World Cup was it the semi final? It was, I mean, Guavadol. Okay, what is he? Twenty two, probably one of the best young centre backs in the world. But I just can't when when he when when his name comes up, I just can't stop thinking about that clip. Um, but yeah, he's he's ten million more than Maguire was. So come on, he's got to be better than that. Yeah, I think. Harry Maguire's had a torrid week, but hopefully now not being the most expensive defender of all time uh, will take a bit of uh, weight off his shoulder. Uh, and he's lost the captaincy at Man United as well. So, uh, Laura, anything to add uh, around City's business? Uh, yeah, I love the Guardiola signing. Um, obviously, I'm a Leeds fan and Marcelo Bielsa liked him. Um, I think we're back when we were in the championship and you always know always know when he liked to play he was going to be good Pep obviously likes him as well every time to be honest most of the times I've seen him play it was for Croatia um I thought he was really really good in the World Cup 22 years old I remember when um when Man United signed Rio Ferdinand for 30 million back in the early 2000s um it seemed like a lot of money and Alex Ferguson said well if we get him for 10 years and we've got the best centre-back of the year for 10 years it's three million a year um for having a bit of gold dust at the back so I don't, I mean, with inflation, nine million a year, if, if City can have him for 10 years, being as good as I think he's going to be, I think that would be a good signing. Um, but yeah, that's the problem, Tigo, with too much social media. Your opinion's based on one little clip of Messi, I've not even seen it, but Messi doing him dirty. And now you've got it in, in your head that he's crap. He will be absolutely class. No, yeah, class. I, I'm not saying he's crap. I just I just wanted to bring up that that um, that clip, to be honest. Um He's clearly, he's clearly, and this is another example of Man City being a great recruiting outfit. Like, I'm at Laporte a couple of seasons ago, before his big injury, but was, was probably up there, one of the top two, top three centre-backs in the Prem. He's clearly going out going out the other way, and they've just got another left-footed left centre-half 
in Josco Guavadal coming in. So he's going to instantly improve their squad and definitely probably in the end, their, their, um, their first team. What I, what I will say to you boys is obviously with that signing, I did a little bit of research. Pep, since Pep Guardiola has come in, he signed 14 defenders, yeah? Um, which is how long has Pep been there? Six seasons, seven, seven seasons, I think six seasons. Yeah. Um, 14 defenders he signed. How much money do you think he spent on those 14 defenders? Uh, well, is this hundred million? Is this including Guavadal? Is this include the hundred million for him? Yeah, it includes Guavadal, but but CL Loro's clearly done done me dirty there and over egged over egged it. But well, it, I went for, I went fifty million per defender. Yeah, well, it kind of it, it's it's over half a billion quid, so five hundred and forty three million pounds spent on defenders. You've got the likes of. Ruben Diaz at 64 million, Laporte himself at 58.5 million, John Stones 50 mil, Carl Walker 47.4 mil, Benjamin Mendy 50.75 mil, Cancelo 58 mil. Like these guys, they just spend money for fun, don't they? Yeah, and where, what, what did that, I know there's talks about Walker going, but I think they would probably look to bring a right back in again. What, what's their, back four I know he interchanges a lot but John Stones is sort of stepping into midfield what do you see as their back four for next year is it because Akanji's been great Ake's great is it Garvidal and Diaz yeah so I would I reckon if Carl Walker leaves it will be Stones in that sort of floating right back centre mid role and then you've got Diaz alongside um, probably Guavidal give like depending on how well he settles into the Prem and then you've got Akanji and Ake at left back, both obviously solid, natural centre halves. But he seemed to Guardiola seemed to like that um, towards the end of last season, and obviously it worked because they won the treble. So um, yeah, strong. Yeah, I don't know. With Man City, it's, it's harder, isn't it? Because they don't necessarily have a settled team that they play every week. We obviously, call it Pep Roulette, but it seems to be a different team every week. I'm not. I'm not sure if Guardiola will go in straight away. Um, it normally takes a while, doesn't it, for a player to come in and settle under Pep? We've seen it with Grealish took him took him a year to get settled in there. Now he's had a good one. Phillips has struggled this year. I know this is a different position, and maybe Guardiola's, um, you know, Guardiola's of different stature. He's already played Champions League football, etc. But I think it will probably take him a little while to be Pep's number one centre back alongside Ruben Diaz. To be honest with you, but like I said, I think he's a good player, and he'll certainly uh, he'll certainly do well there. I agree. Yeah. Just, just, just some breaking news for you boys. I've just had a quick flick through Twitter there. The Musa DRB to Aston Villa transfer is worth between fifty-five million euros and sixty million euros, um, which brings us nicely on, I guess, to Aston Villa's transfer business um, because DRB bringing in a player like DRB alongside Paul Torres and Yuri Tiedemans. That sort of is a big statement of intent for Unai Emery's side. What do you what do you think? Do you think these guys are the best placed team to break into that sort of top six next season? Where, um, where did where did Villa finish this year? Was it seventh, eighth? Yeah, seventh. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're definitely definitely up there. Brighton obviously had a great season, but you you look at it now and you've got City, Arsenal, United. Uh, Liverpool 
Tottenham, and then you add in Brighton, Villa, uh, Newcastle, sorry. And, and Chelsea Chelsea went up there last year, either. Yeah, which is... So, will they break into it? I, I don't think so. I don't think they'll have enough there. I also am always very cautious around uh, Bundesliga signings as well um, about their success. Um, I was actually having a conversation with a friend not that long ago about what have been successful Bundesliga signings that have come to the Prem. Uh, and we were racking our brains for about 20 minutes and then realised that De Bruyne came from Wolfsburg, who's been fairly uh, successful. But we couldn't really think of too many more that would be deemed like a real, real success. Yeah, good, good, Gundogan was poor. Um, <laughs> yeah, valid. Uh, Murph, we've been scarred by Mkhitaryan and Kagawa. Um, yeah. Where did where, where did Rudiger come from? Was he was he Bundesliga Rudiger? I don't know. Good knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably probably been a little unfair there. But like you said, you've had Jaden Sancho come over, Henry yeah. Mkhitaryan, even Kagawa back in the day. Um, but I mean, I'm sure we'll speak about it more and more in the future, and we'll we'll probably see how everyone's opinion shapes up on Man United's recruitment. But I, I personally don't hold it in the highest regard. Um, and as you can see, you boys are probably scarred by that a little bit from the the past signings. Yeah, well, I was I was just thinking then I might have to use the edit button because because Murphy's bypassed Erling Haaland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be fair. When I say we had a run not that long ago and spoke about it, it might have been a bit longer, actually. And we might have been actually discussing whether Haaland was going to be a success. So I would have probably known my knowledge of said uh, no. no. <laughs> uh, Rudiger came from Roma, but was at Stuttgart when he was younger. So, uh, yeah, I'm not calling out German players, but uh, just their success. Uh, Kai Havertz, another one. Werner. Um, I think at the time when we were discussing it, there was just quite a few uh high high level ones that, that weren't working out but um yeah so Villa's business uh good I guess just to touch on the other major signing in the Premier League uh Declan Rice as well um I know Laura a big fan I'm sure Tomo is as well but just thoughts on the Rice to Arsenal signing yeah unbelievable they had to capitalize on the season that they've just had um that you can't rest on your laurels and I think bringing in someone like Declan Rice who you used the word the other day, Tegel, transformative. It just makes that midfield look so different and so much more stronger. Um, I, I like the timber signing as well, just adding depth to the, the back line. Um, and Arteta, I just think he's got the bit between his teeth now. I think he knows what he's doing. He went close last year. They faded at the end. But I think they're going to be a real, real threat to Man City this year. I think they look really, really good. Interesting one, though, is going to be the habit signing because from what people are saying apparently he's going to be playing like a number eight and 8.5 next to Odegaard in the midfield with Rice sitting which I don't know maybe he used to do that before back in his um, Bundesliga days but that'll be an interesting one because if that works out um, that's all of a sudden looks a really 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 strong side on paper yeah can so I um... there that Kai Havertz basically he was a 10 before before going to Chelsea and Chelsea sort of turned him into sort of false nine which I never felt was his strongest position. He, he's, not, he's not got that killer instinct. Um, but when, when you look at sort of this, what Arteta's influence or Guardiola's influence on Arteta is coming through, because you would never have thought that De Bruyne could be a centre mid before Guardiola turned him into one. Same with Bernardo Silva and same with David Silva. Like these guys were like forward thinking midfielders who would, who would play in the 10 or but like 
since Guardiola's come in, he's basically turned him into really hardworking centre mids off the ball. And obviously when they're on the ball, they show their quality. So I think Arteta is hoping Havertz will do that. And and obviously with the Rice signing, he's he's just a up, massive upgrade on, on Partey. Um, I, I saw today that the, the, the Arsenal don't want to sell Partey now. So they're hoping he stays, which I guess for depth is great because... For the big games and obviously for Champions League, you can you can play both Partey and Rice, and that will offer a bit more um, defensive stability. But yeah, I ever since watching that Amazon documentary, I've been massively impressed with Arteta, and I like I, I would um, I'm worried basically as a Man United fan because their progress is only sort of getting stronger and stronger. It seems. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about. Um, managers moulding players into different positions you didn't think they'd be able to play. Bielsa did it a lot at Leeds as well. Um, we've played, like Calvin Phillips was like a left winger for us before, or like a wide attacking player for us before he came in. He turned Alioski into a left-back, Dallas into a left-back. And sometimes I think clubs, and again, I don't want to bark on about United, but sometimes you can make signings and just think, oh, why aren't they doing what they were doing at the role club? But they still need to be in the right environment and be coached properly. And when you've got proper managers like... Pep Guardiola, and like Arteta looks like he's going to be, he was obviously schooled by Pep for a number of years. I, I do have confidence that he probably can shape him into a decent uh, a decent player in, in a different position. Um, and like I said, I think if Habits can sort of um, excel in that, I don't know what you want to call it, 10 or 8.5 next to Odegaard, um, I think that looks scary. Yeah, I agree. I think basically he's, he's going to be the replacement for Xhaka, isn't he? And... Xhaka, that's what I mean. When you when you hear habits replacement for Xhaka, it don't sound right at all, does it? He's you know I mean? someone who, when Jesus is injured, will play up front. When Martinelli needs a rest, he'll play out on the left. He'll play in the ten sometimes if someone else needs a rest. I don't. I don't actually. I know he's a lot of money, but I don't know if I was to map out my strongest Arsenal eleven now, if I'd even start Habits, which is obviously a bit odd with the amount of money he spent. But if you're yeah, if you've got Odegaard, Rice, you're keeping Partey. They've got other options in there. I don't know if Havertz played. And just another point, actually, which, uh, Laura, I think we've discussed this before, actually. Modern-day football having midfield positions with a number, a, a yeah. six who sits in front of the back four, an eight who's box-to-box, a ten who joins in, an 8.5. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's just the move to 4-3-3 from 4-4-2, but used to just have two centre-mids, didn't you? Scholes and Keane, or whoever else. And I've Yeah, and I, I, miss, I, miss those, I miss those days, Murph, but with social media and all the sort of rise of statistics and statistics upon statistics, you don't get 4-4-2 and just having two centre-mids anymore, do you? Like you say, you have a 4, a 6, an 8, an 8.5, a 10, um, and everyone. And even when I've seen some players um, signed by teams, even in the EFL this year, and they're interviewed on their on their first day and they're asked what position they are. And they're saying, oh, I, I like playing on the right of two 8.5s. And you just think, no, you're a centre mid that likes to basically get forward and probably not get back too much. Um, and you've sort of they've got categorised within a number, haven't they? All of those positions and what people like to do. Um, but in Declan Rice, um, the topic that we were speaking about there, you've got a player that obviously can play number four really well, does it well for England. I think for West Ham, maybe more of a six. But I think a lot of I think a lot of people around the club, I know Stuart Pearce has said it a lot, I think he can do a lot more going forward as well and maybe be more of an eight. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe Arsenal have found the remedy for that and they've got a player that can play four, six, eight and do it all. Um, but like I said, what a signing that is. 
Yeah, I agree. But but like on the topic of numbers, you two are just sound a little bit like Tim Sherwood there, where you're just like old school is the way forward and the new school is just it's just different names for stuff, isn't it? Like yeah, defensive midfielder, attacking midfielder, right winger, left winger, but and it's just the way it goes. But there's nothing wrong with Tim Sherwood. Premier League winner at Blackburn. I think he was in Alan Shearer's all-time played with 11, like Michael Richard Latt. Michael Richard Latt, thank you so much for. But um, no, I like the I like the way that um, people speak about football in old school terms. It's much more simple, isn't it? And, you know, as this pod goes on, you'll see that I, I see things in more of a simple way. And I just like to judge footballers and football teams how we see them rather than uh, all these statistical graphs and things. Um, I think you get a better a better outlook on a footballer or a football team doing it that way. Good stuff. Right. Uh, as promised, we're not just going to talk about the Premier League. So uh, moving on down to the Championship, uh, Loro, obviously, particular focus on that league this year. Um, before we bring you in to discuss Leeds and, and kind of the other top contenders for the league, uh, Tomo, have you got the uh, odds to hand for, for the Championship this year? I'm guessing Leicester leads the main main protagonist. Yeah, so you've got the three relegated teams who are... Um, we're doing this on Sky Bet Odds, by the way. But yeah, the three relegated teams are the favourites. Le- Leicester coming up, big favourites, four to one. Leeds, second favourites, which I'm actually not sure about, to be honest, because they've let a fair few players go um, with all their relegation clauses in their contract. Um, but they're at 11 to two. And then Southampton, seven to one. Middlesbrough, 10 to one. Obviously did well last season under Michael Carrick. And actually... Coming in at fifth, recently promoted Ipswich, 12 to 1. Um, that's quite an interesting... That is. That is very interesting. But obviously, Kieran McKenna did a great job with them in his first managerial role since leaving United or Man United. So, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, Loro, obviously, this is your this is your bag, the championship. So, and obviously, with Leeds being in there, what, what are you making of Leeds's sort of transfer business so far? Yeah, well, well, firstly, I think there's a general consensus this year that the championship looks really, really strong. If you look at the list of teams in the championship, they look like big clubs, like in terms of stature. And I think we've, when you, I'm not saying they're small clubs, but Burnley and Luton have gone up, but down come Leeds, Leicester and Southampton. Up come Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday um, from League One. And it just looks like a really strong league on paper. Um, but it's not always the big teams that do well in the championship. Obviously, we've seen over the years, Bournemouth, Brentford, Huddersfield, Blackpool have all made, all made their way to the Premier League. Luton last season. Um, I think a managerial appointment in the Championship is more important than any other league in the world. Um, look at Huddersfield last year, dead and buried, bought in Neil Warnock, survived. Middlesbrough were languishing down in the relegation zone, if not very close, bought in Michael Carrick, were very good after that. To a lesser extent, West Brom as well, Corbran. Um and all three teams that have come down from the Premier League this year, that are big clubs, by the way, probably the three biggest clubs that have come down in a group together for a long time, have got new managers. Um, and I think that's going to be a really interesting um, start to the season to see who gets off on the right foot and who's under pressure. Because um, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, maybe from more of an outside point of view. Who do you see as the best managerial appointment from those three? So you've got... Um, the guy that's coming from Man City is that Enzo Morasco, I think, was Pep's either number two or definitely part of the coaching staff at Leicester. Southampton have gone for Russell Martin, um, a possession-based manager that's had good stints at MK Dons and Swansea. And Leeds have obviously gone for the tried and tested Daniel Farker, who 
who's been promoted a couple of times to Norwich. So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts first from an outside point of view of who's made the, the best managerial um, appointment there and who do you fancy to, to start the season well and go on and uh, have a crack at promotion? Well, it's, it's pretty safe to say that Daniel Farker is the one, um, just in a sense of, obviously, he's been, he's been promoted twice, plays good he played good football with Norwich in the championship um obviously promoted twice in in was it three seasons with them um the the, the Enzo Marasca the fellow who coached with Pep Guardiola he's the sort of he's the wild card in this because he like let's be honest Vincent company didn't have any didn't have any experience managing in the championship come in and absolutely battered that league with Burnley playing unreal football so if he, if this guy has the same sort of impact on Leicester as Vincent Company did, then you could see obviously you could see them going far. And obviously you've got they, they made good signings in Cody and Winks. Um, yeah, I like the Cody signing. I've seen a, I've seen a bit of negativity about that on on um, social media, but I think that's an unbelievable signing. A centre back who's had such built such a good name for himself over the last few years. He was in the England World Cup squad. In December, and he's only 30. I could not believe he was only 30 when I looked at that on Wikipedia. He seems like he's been around for donkey's years. But when you look at Leicester, I just think I think they're rightfully favourites because I think when you look at their team, even if they lose half of the players, they've still got Harry Souza, who they signed after the World Cup after impressing with Australia. Yannick Vestergaard's still there. They've got James Justin, Ricardo Pereira, Castagne, Luke Thomas at left back. So they've got a lot of players that even if they lose a lot of them, they're still gonna have a really, really good. Um, spine of a team there and sometimes the team comes down and keeps just too many good players for the championship to live with we saw it with Newcastle before um, so I do fancy them to go back up I was a lot more worried about Leeds probably a week ago before the takeover was announced and um, we'd started making, making any noises about transfers but we signed Ethan Ampadu yesterday from Chelsea I couldn't believe he was still there either he seems to have been everywhere but he's still only 22 loads of cap for Wales loads of experience across the leagues um, had had a stint at Sheffield United as well, playing playing in English football. So I think that that's a good sign in. I think it bodes well for signings to come that we're looking at the right type of players. Um, but the really interesting one, Southampton, because when they got relegated, I thought to myself, they're going to have a good chance to go back up because although they've got a lot of good players there that weren't good enough to keep them in the league, um, they're probably going to be too good for the championship. And other than maybe James Ward-Prowse, who I don't think is left yet, there's not a lot of them there that I think will think, oh, I'm too big for the championship. And when you look at like Che Adams and Adam Armstrong up front, already that looks like a lot of firepower. Um, so I think I think they're going to have a good team there. But Russell Martin is a manager that has sort of forged and created and built a, a really strong reputation for himself, a guy that likes to play attractive possession-based football. Um, I think if possession possession turned into points he'd have he'd have won promotion everywhere he's been but he hasn't actually had any tangible success in terms of promotion at MK Donzora at Swansea so it's a little bit of a risk that one I think for Southampton I think it could go one of two ways I think I he either, I think he either gets some playing and <clears> Southampton <throat> look really really good and it all comes together the stars align and, and they're going to be a force or that's the type of one that that can become a real pressurized situation really really quickly when you're trying to implement a new style of football um, at a football club and you need time to do it. And as we know, with managers, time is not a commodity that you get all that much of, especially in the championship where every game is difficult. So interesting one at Southampton. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how all three do. But uh, like I said, I think Leicester are rightfully favourites. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, Southampton might struggle actually um, this season. I think Leeds and Leicester will be up there. I think Leicester probably be able to tap into a couple of loans uh, at Man City with the pep links with the new manager. I think did Burnley have was it Harwood Bellis last year um, on loan? I think they'll probably tap into that. Um, I guess they're going to have some money available now from Madison and looks like Barnes is going to Newcastle. So maybe reinvest some of that money. Uh, I think Leeds needed a manager who knows what they're doing with the championship, a bit of stability. Um, I think need to maybe make a couple more decent signings, but they'll be up there. But looking at the table last year, uh, Burnley, Sheffield United went up, but you add in kind of uh, Middlesbrough, Coventry, Sunderland, Blackburn all in in the top seven, Millwall, West Brom. I don't think Southampton come down and suddenly that, you know, they're the only three teams in it. Um, big club, Sunderland. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, they've come back up. I know, uh, I know their managers left now, but these are like big clubs, big fan bases. And I think out of the three, and as you say, Russell Martin's going to need time to implement his style with that set of players. Maybe with inheriting a Premier League squad as well, will he get the kind of respect from all of those players and the time that he needs to implement it? And in the Championship, you can lose two games and suddenly you're gone from like eighth to like 15th and you're, the chairman starts getting a, a bit agitated, agitated about it. So they're the team I think will struggle. Uh, Leicester and Leeds, I do think they'll be one and two. Uh, not sure who will win it. Um, Laura, just... Uh, Looking at, at the odds, Tom obviously ran through it. Uh, wild card pick from the championship to have a good season. Um, are you asking me that, Murph? Yeah, you can you can answer. I think Laura's dropped off by the looks of it. Well, Sunderland at 18 to 1, I reckon. I mean, I know they got into the um the playoff final last year. Um, but they're they're a good they're they're a good um yeah we'll have to edit this bit out. to you there. He asked you the question. Yeah, my I don't know the internet went. I've just I've literally just logged back on. What was the question? That's right. We can edit that out. So <laughs> what was the question? Basically, outside outside pun the championship. <laughs> outside pun. Yeah. Okay, are we are we back on now or what? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what then. Your outside punt might be a Sheffield Wednesday at sixty sixes. Yeah, yeah, I hate that shout. <laughs> a hor- horribly run football club, um, and I don't like the the Minos uh, appointment either. Are we back on properly here? Oh, Murph, I like, I... ask the question again, Murph. You can just edit from my question. Okay, yeah. All right. Well. It- if we're talking about who, who the outside punt is for the championship, I think that I would have said Ipswich with Kieran McKenna because they stumbled across an unbelievable manager there that just plays really good football, gets results and got promoted at the first time of asking. Um, but Skybet are already a little bit wise to that. And I think they've got them in at like fifth or sixth favourite. So, um, yeah, I like Ipswich to do well. But listen, you never know with the championship. You never, ever know. You wouldn't have said Luton will go playoffs back to back. Um, you wouldn't have said Coventry last year having to play all their games away at the start, all that sort of, all those sorts of things. So um, there'll be some big ones up there, but there'll be some surprises as well. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick both in the championship, uh, both products of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer School of Management. Uh, so interested to see 
how those guys get on. So, yeah, championships are moving on down now to League One. Uh, Tomo, come to you for the odds again. Um, well, okay, so we've got big favourites, uh, Derby 9-2, obviously st- strong team, did well last season, um, obviously couldn't get couldn't, couldn't go up because of how strong Sheffield Wednesday were, how strong Ipswich were. Um, then you've got Bolton at sevens, Barnsley at nines, alongside Peterborough and Portsmouth. Peterborough, <laughs> Peterborough after their playoff sort of meltdown, if you will, how will they react to that? Because, I mean, they were the first first team in history to to win the first leg four nil, and then and then then get knocked out and not qualify for the final. It'd be interesting to see how they react to that as a club, I suppose. Um, but then you've got your Blackpool and your Reddings, eleven to one, twelve to one, Charlton out at sixteens. Yeah, I think I think I think it's Derby's year just to win the League One. They're t- I think they're too big a club. They've got a really good manager in Paul Warren. He's done it a couple of times with Rotherham. Um, you're right about Peterborough. I mean, they're normally a bit of a yo-yo club between the Championship and League One, and they've got Darren Ferguson back there for the 120th time at the moment. So um, a little bit of a transitional phase, maybe. John Clark Harris was their top scorer by a mile last season. He's been put on the transfer list. I don't think he's gone anywhere yet. But um, they normally sign good players, Peterborough. They've actually signed a striker out of um, non-league, Kamongo uh, Shimanga, um, who was there on loan, I think, for the, the end of last season. But they've made that permanent, and he'll probably be starting for them this year. It'll be interesting to see if his goals that he did score lots of in non-league translate to League One. Um, so, But like I said, I think that would be the team to go up and... Looking at those odds, I just had a quick look at them a minute ago. I think Oxford are 18 to 1. I like that shout. Um, they've signed some good players. Another player from non-league, Ruben Rodriguez, who's a, an attacking type playmaker and exciting player. I think they've always got good football teams. Um, Oxford came to the end of their cycle a little bit with Carl Robinson. He was there for a long time, a couple of playoff stints, and I think it just um, ended naturally there. But a, 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 another good manager actually in there in um, Liam Manning, um, who was uh, MK Don's the year before last, got them to the playoffs, did a really good job, started last season. He was linked with QPR, didn't get that job. All of a sudden, loses a couple of games and he's out of the picture and he's sacked. So I think that's a really clever appointment by Oxford. He'll play good football. The fans will like him now. I think he'll pick up some um, some points this year, playing nice football and uh, wouldn't be surprised to see them up there at the end of the year. So I like them at 18-1. Yeah, Peter, Peterborough, um, remember watching the playoffs against Sheffield Wednesday um, and Peterborough are always the team that if you're uh, both teams to score better, they're always in uh, in your ACA, always in high scoring fixtures. Um, weird, weird game. Um, and it, it almost felt like them being as ahead as they were meant that they took their foot off the uh, accelerator a bit, tried to sit back and kind of just not lose heavily. Uh, ended up doing that. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how they do it. Hope Derby go up. Uh, I like Paul Warren. Paul Warren used to play for Yeovil, uh, our local team, and also uh, had a good podcast that he was on, him and Carl Robinson, uh, when he was at Rotherham. But I think he's a, a sound sound uh, manager for them. Obviously, a bit of transition last year, um, probably underachieved, but I think that they might go up as champions this year. Cool. Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. That's an interesting point about the Peterborough being 4 0 down at. Um, sorry, being 4 0 up against Sheffield Wednesday, not really knowing what to do. Um, where do you do you play normally? Do you attack normally? Do you just hold on what you have? Um, and do you let a place like Hillsborough get on top of you? 
and uh, end up conceding lots of goals. I mean, they, I met, they always say 2-0 is a dangerous scoreline in football, so they brought it to the next level, really, there with 4-0. But what would you do? 4-0 up, away at Sheffield, 4-0 up at home, go to Sheffield Wednesday in the second leg. Do you play normally? Do you try and nick goals? Do you sit back? It's a tough one. It's tougher uh, than being 4-0 up should be. Yeah, I actually don't think I'd do too much different if I was a manager there. I think 4-0, I wouldn't be looking at going and like being like, I'll just replicate what you did at home because it never works out like that, does it? And you don't want them nicking an early goal. Um, and there was probably a bit of a game plan to to just try and strangle the game a bit. So I don't think I'd have done anything different uh, than what they did. But um, it, it, it only just, I think from memory, it only just didn't work out, didn't it? Wasn't it like a really late equaliser to get it back to, to level, level par? Yeah, wasn't it? I think Sheffield Wednesday won 4-0 and then Peterborough scored to go 5-4 up in our stoppage time. And then there was a really, really, really late goal from Sheffield Wednesday to make it 5-0 and then Wednesday won on penalties. But it, it just had that, it just had a feeling in the air that night that Sheffield Wednesday were going to do something. And um, yeah, I bet on it and it paid for my Yeovil season ticket this year. So yeah, thank you, Darren Moore and uh, Sheffield Wednesday for that. And he's now left Sheffield Wednesday, right? Yeah, I mean, they were talking about... The, the rumours about his job started coming out after losing that first leg 4-0. And then you think, oh, owner's looking a bit silly now because they were sort of leaking out that he might be in trouble. Get promoted to the Championship. But I just... I mean, I'm not a Sheffield Wednesday expert, but it sounds like there wasn't um, an awful lot of things in common, maybe, between the hierarchy there and Darren Moore. But he'll be a good pick-up for someone. He'll be a good manager. He'll get a Championship job. I'm sure he will. And, um, yeah... I'm sure we'll have more success in the future. And uh, Wednesday, I've appointed the old Watford boss. I think is it Zisco Munoz, I think his name is. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I'm not surprised they're not fancied on the odds. No. Cool. OK, guys, so let's move on now to League Two. What's being billed as the Class of 92 versus Hollywood, uh, Rexham, <laughs> Salford. Uh, Tomo, any uh, any odds there? Are they, are they the two, two favourites? Uh, no, not, not surprisingly, Wrexham are the big favourites for the league at 10 to 3. Um, but actually, Salford are like down in, let me see, eight favourites at 16 to 1. Um, I've got a bit of personal experience with Salford, actually. I went on a stag do recently and we, we went to watch Salford. Um, and I can't lie and sit here and say, I don't really want to annoy some Salford fans, but it was the worst experience of my life at the Peninsula, the Salford fans created absolutely no atmosphere. It was the deadest nil-nil of all time. Um, so I'm not really, to be to be fair, I'm not really big fans of Salford since then. Um, but then you've got, obviously you've got Stockport in at six to one. They lost on penalties in the playoff final last year. And Notts County, who also got promoted with Wrexham, are in, in at third favourites at 15 to two. So it's interesting two heavily financed teams in Wrexham and Notts County basically go, go straight in at one and three with the bookies odds as favourites to get promoted straight to League One. Yeah, well, Yeovil were in that league last year um, and obviously Wrexham uh, at completely different ends of the table of than Wrexham and Notts County, but I think there'll be quite a lot of people who have got teams in the National League who would probably say that the standard in there uh, is is really high and a lot of those teams were challenging League 2 and actually I think there's a 
big call from fans in National League about the number of promotion spots there are um, against other steps of the the pyramid compared to going up to League Two to compare to other leagues. So, uh, Laura, bring you in then. Um, League Two, Wrexham for you. No, no, I think uh, um, League Two is an unbelievable league this year. Unbelievable. It's probably the best one, I think, um, in terms of... It's a weird league, League Two, because it's almost impossible to get relegated from and the whole top half get promoted. Three go up automatically, another one in the playoff spot. And it's never any of the teams that you think it's going to be. It's always someone out of the pack. So this year you've got Wrexham, we all know about, with the Hollywood owners. You've got the Class 92 stuff at Salford. You've got teams like Bradford, who Mark Hughes has been there a while now, and I'm sure the owners are probably looking at him and going, Mark, you know, we, we want to be in League One, mate. Um, Gillingham are throwing some money around. Knox County are a really good team that came from um, non-league last year. Mansfield always finished seventh. They'll be there or thereabouts. But it wouldn't surprise me in that league if someone really random come out the pack, like Walsall, and just won it. And normally it's a bit of momentum. Someone with a striker that's scoring goals... And there's a lot of talk about Wrexham and Knox County and um, teams like that this year. It wouldn't surprise me if it was someone a little bit um, out of the ordinary that won that league. But one to keep your eye on. And there's some really good footballers. At Stockport, another team, they just signed Nick Powell, who you'll remember from Man United. Um, ridiculous. Knox County signed David McGoldrick from Derby, scored 20-plus goals there in League One last year. So, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in that league this year. I wouldn't want to call it, but um, if I had to, I'd go against all the odds and just pick someone at random. Yeah, well, also, will get you 40 to 1 if you fancy a bit of that. They've got, they've got Tommy Knowles there, ex Yeovil, who I think had a half decent season last year. But that's just a random name. But last year, Leighton Orient, Stevenage, Northampton went out, Carlisle through the playoffs. I mean, where's your Stockport's there? Where's your Salford? I mean, all right, they were both in the playoffs, but Bradford, again, again, another team in the playoffs. but just not as easy to call as what you think. And I'm not sure Wrexham, who haven't really signed an awful lot yet, other than Ben Foster on another contract, are just going to walk through it like a lot of people think they are. Unless between now and the start of the season, you know, they make some additions that that change that, um, that, that change the landscape drastically. But I, I just fancy someone a little bit weird and wonderful to win that league this year, just to surprise us all. Good. And then I guess a good soundbite goes into... National League then, so obviously, as say, our uh, local side, Yeovil, were in that last year. Uh, remember at the start of the season, we were pricing up odds for them to go up automatically, thinking if it wasn't that, then definitely playoffs. Uh, and we ended up getting relegated, um, which is testament to strength of that league, but also how uh, poor Yeovil have been. But more on that in a bit. Uh, National League, uh, odds on that, Tom, available? Uh, yeah, just getting them up now. Um... So Chesterfield are favourites, nine to four. Oldham, fifteen to two. Hartlepool, eleven to one. You know Jeff Stelling's boys. Then you got Rochdale. And basically, it's pretty apart from maybe Chesterfield, quite heavy favourites, but it's pretty open again. Woking, twelves. York, sixteens. Um, I mean, to be fair, like since Yeovil got relegated and Wrexham got promoted. <laughs> My knowledge of that lead it um, consists of Wildstone being being Wildstone Raiders um, team, and they're at eighties. But I might chuck a quid on them. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind that. There's a couple of links to Yeovil in that league. Actually, uh, you got Woking, who are at fourteen to one. Yeovil's old manager Darren Sala, um doing really well there. I think they'll fancy it this year. There's also a team that were 
probably around 80 to 1 in pre-season and now 18 to 1 York City. So uh, a prospective owner of Yeovil Town. Um, he was, a, I believe, a steward for a period of time. Um, and that, that didn't work out. But York 18 to 1 and lots of signings for them. Uh, Laura? Yeah, um, just you just touched on it now. If I could pick one team to go out this year, um, heart overhead, I'd love it to be Woken. I think Darren Sowell's a brilliant manager. He's definitely the best manager we've had in my lifetime at Yeovil outside of Gary Johnson. Um, but again, like you said earlier, only one team go up automatically in that year in that league is absolutely ridiculous. That is something I feel quite strongly about that needs to change. I think there are discussions um, in the background about that. But Knox County finished with like 100, way over 100 points last year and had to go through the playoffs um, and had to come from behind as well a couple of times um, in the playoff campaign to go up. So that needs looking at. But I think like, the odds in that league, Chesterfield have got Paul Cook in charge. They've just signed Wilt Grigg, who's obviously a big player in that league. Um, I think they're probably rightfully favourites. Um, like you said, York are shuffling some money about, but there's quite a lot of money in non-league now. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me again if we took, I mean, look back a couple of years, we thought Yeovil were going to go up every single year that they were in, the, since they got relegated to the non-league. Um, first year we were in it, I think Barrow went up. Second year, maybe Sutton. Again, a team that, a team can always come out of the pack, get some momentum. If you can score goals in these leagues, you've got half a chance. Um, but, but yeah, Chesterfield rightfully favourites, but if I could pick, I'd love Woken to go up. Yeah, well, Bookies, bookies fancy them uh, to go up at 14 to 1, I think. I think they're in the top six. So, uh, yeah, look on with interest for that. Um, South End in there at 25 to 1, going through a few ownership troubles at the moment. So, hopefully, everything gets sorted out for them uh, and they can compete. But, uh, and then my place of birth, Older Shot uh, Town, the Shots, who uh, I keep an eye on, they're 150 to 1, uh, if anyone fancies uh, 50p each way on them. Um, right, and then National League South uh, and National League North. Uh, I won't lie and say that our focus isn't going to be more on National League South uh, with uh, with Yeovil being in there. But uh, yeah, Lauro, I believe season tickets secured for you and uh, every pre-season game so far attended. So how are Yeovil shaping up and uh, who are their main rivals for uh, the title this year? Yeah, you're quite right. Season tickets secured. Um, I've been to. I've, I've been actually obsessed this this transfer window. It sort of goes back and forward between Leeds and Yeovil as to who gets the uh, the main bulk of my attention. But Yeovil's uh, um, Yeovil's team this year is going to be far, far, far too good for the National League South. Um, we've got Reese Murphy back, who scored loads of goals at this level. We signed a guy called Jake Hyde, who's also got a really good goal scoring record in and around the National League. We've got Frank Newball who's been, he must have played for 100 clubs now in the Football League, but he's a good threat up front as well. We've managed to keep um, our core players like Josh Staunton and, and Matt Worthington as well. So on paper, we've got a really, really good team. In pre-season, although we're playing a lot of opposition who are below us, we're looking really good. Our manager um, is quite a decorated manager, I would say, for National League South, Mark Cooper, who's managed at Swindon and had um, promotions for Forest Green, and he's been at Peterborough as well. So... Looks really, really good, but down the road we've got Torquay, who are managed by Gary Johnson, and their first eleven. Although I don't think they've got as much depth as we got at the moment, um, their first eleven looks really scary as well. They've got a couple of uh, good strikers there in uh, in Aaron Jarvis and Brad Ashley. They've taken from Weymouth, who scored a lot of goals last year. So, um, yeah, 
I'd like to say that I'm really, really confident that Yeovil are going to go up this year. If two teams were to get automatic promotion, then I think it would be a shoe-in for both. Um, but I do think it's going to be a big top-of-the-table clash between the Glovers and the Goals um, in the 23 and 24 season. Brilliant. Thanks, Laurie. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, also Yeovil, under new ownership now, um, local businessmen come in, uh, buy some money to the club and made some good sign-ins. Uh, there'll probably be a few listeners uh, to the podcast who've seen Deadline Day Live tweet Yeovil sign-ins and wondered why. I think most of the initial uh, comments are, who, are, who the fuck are this team and calling them Dusty Club. Uh, a, we're not Dusty. Uh, we're on the comeback trail, but uh, hopefully gives you a bit of an insight as to why an account with over 1 million followers now, Tomo? Yeah, we're just uh, we're just about to hit 2 million, but you, you know you've got to throw some love to the hometown team every now and again, even if it does mean we lose a few followers and get a lot of Twitter hate for it. But, I mean, it comes to the territory. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think... Uh, I think people have uh, been been saying that uh, Yeovil have been uh, paying Deadline Day Live for it due to the uh, fact that Deadline Day Live have probably got about a thousand times more followers than uh, than Yeovil. But no, just some uh, love for the local club. So yeah, be interested to see to that. And then uh, Laura, I don't want to sort of finish without touching on it, just in fairness. But uh, National League North, uh, am I right in saying Scunthorpe, kind of the team to beat in that league? I think so, mate. Yeah, I think they've got another newish owner, maybe that's throwing some money around. And they've, they've. I mean, if you follow Twitter, non-league Twitter, um, everyone's raving about Scunthorpe this year. But again, look, only one team go up. So if you get stuck in a in a tricky uh, tricky period of bad results, you never know. But I fancy Scunthorpe to go up from that league. But I must hold my hands up and say, you know, I wouldn't even know who their main rivals were. I think. Um, I think Scunthorpe will go up from National League North. I think Yo will go up from National League South. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Did you did you give a uh, did you give a tip for the National League? Chesterfield, do you, do you fancy Woken? Woken, right? So Woken, Woken, Woken made the playoffs last year. Um, they got knocked out by maybe Bromley, I think, um, in the sort of preliminary pre, pre, preliminary games. Um, but I think that, you know, they've made some good additions this summer as well. And like I said, I really rate their manager. Um, and again, if it was a normal promotion season, I'd, I'd, I'd really fancy them to go up. But when only one goes up, you just never know, dear. But yes, I fancy Woking in the non-league, uh, in the National League, obviously Scunthorpe in National League North. And uh, yeah, Hart, uh, well, Hart and Head saying you're over with National League South, but talk here a big threat. Okay, so I think... Uh... The after coming out of that, uh, we didn't actually go for our picks in or your pick, Laurie, for the Prem, but we'll leave that one out. Uh, I'm going to say go for, for Leeds being your team. And then I think League One, we've gone Derby. I think we went Warsaw for League Two, which moves up at 40 to 1. Woken at 14, Scumthorpe and Yeovil. So, uh, yeah, maybe for the next pod, um, I'll work out the odds on that, get a pound on it. And that can be the uh, Pyramid podcast football league uh, and non-league bet for the season so uh so yeah cool right well uh that probably wraps up the first episode guys uh i think before we go uh probably a nod to to a massive part of uh, of most people's football lives now as well uh fpl uh and going back to the prem i think we'll look to set up a pyramid podcast league um and, and get a, a bit of prize uh, prize money or some prizes on offer for that uh 
you boys had a chance to look at your teams yet? How they look in? Any kind of uh, insight you can offer onto it or cards close to the chest? Uh, cards close to the chest. Obviously, it's a it's a thirteen. Is it thirteen team or thirteen player season basically? Because everyone's going to have Haaland, everyone's going to have Trent with Trent playing in centre mid. So it's what's that twenty two point five million of the budget gone already? Yeah. Um, but I don't. To be fair, I, I've done the team, but I won't look too seriously into it for a couple of weeks. Basically, community shield. That is my that is my my signal to get my house in order on FPL um, because obviously your new signs will come in. You see a bit more preseason. You see what team how teams are lining up in preseason, and then you go from there. But yeah, it's basically a thirteen player season for what is that? I'm I'm terrible at math, but seventy seven point five million. Yeah, I, I think they should just make Haaland twenty million. And it just, do you know what I mean? Because it's just not everyone's got Haaland and everyone's going to captain him. So it, it sort of takes out the beauty of having a captain. I, I would make Haaland 20 million. Um, I don't, I'm not sure everyone will have Trent because is he 8 million this year, did you say? That's oh, yeah, I've, I've not got Trent. I, uh, I did the normal thing I do, which is do my strikers and midfield first and then left scratching around with 20 mil to fill six slots. Uh, so I've not got Trent at the minute. But yeah, the, uh, the midfield. Uh, part is uh, is interesting. I might need to free up some budget, but I think my most expensive defenders, Reese James, at the minute. So I've got a couple mil to find there. Has anyone got Salah? No, no Salah for me. I tell you what, I did do actually. I saw that uh, Burnley had announced James Trafford, and I thought as he's Man City's like fifth choice keeper, he might be in there at like four mil, and that could be a good one to save 0.5. But uh, FPL haven't even got him on the game. So, uh, yeah, if they could look to uh, to change that, that would be great. I thought I was uh, on to a bit of a, uh, yeah. a quick win there, but uh wasn't to be. So, what, cool. about, what about one of those players like that's really, really cheap at the start of the year and ends up being in everyone's team towards the end? Like, do you remember years ago, it was Aaron Rambasaka had a season for Crystal Palace and, uh, I mean, maybe to a lesser extent, Esther Pinan's one of the most selected on the game this year. Um, they put his price up a little bit, but any of any little gems that we think this year might come to fruition? Uh, I, I mean, one that I can say, and this is just from my United back in blind faith in United, I had Rashford really, really early last year. And I think he was like the season before he hadn't scored many, Addy, I think he was at like seven mil or 7.5 mil. And I think this year he's come back in at like 9.5, 10 mil. So, uh, I had him last year, but nothing so far from me, I don't think. My my team needs a bit of work. I've gone fairly generic. I imagine my team looks very, very similar to uh, to the most minus Trent. Yeah. Is Rashford going to play up front this year? Well, if we don't sign if we don't sign Ho- Hoysland, um, but even then, if we sign Hoysland, I, I can't imagine him going slotting straight in. Um, I just had a quick, quick scout and... Uh, Considering Chelsea have basically sold all their midfielders, Chukwemenka at 4.5 million might be a shout if if they can't get Caicedo over the line in time for the season to start. Um, he, he probably will will end up being their their starting midfielder alongside. Um, well, <laughs> see, this is what I mean. Alongside Gallagher, Enzo. Enzo. Yeah, so you've got Enzo, 
Chukwemenka and Gallagher. And Sosedo maybe to come in. Yeah, but Caicedo looks like it's going to be a bit of a long, drawn-out, drawn-out. But, yeah. Where's um, he going? Where's he going? Chelsea? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Chelsea have emptied their midfield a little bit, haven't they, over the last year or so? Jorginho went, now Kante's gone, Mount's gone. Kovacic. Kovacic is gone. So, yeah, they definitely need some uh, money spent in there. But I quite like what Chelsea are doing. They had way too many players, didn't they, last year? And I think they're sort of clearing the decks. I think Nkuku might be a good signing up front for them. He's always looked good when I've seen him in the in the European games. But, um, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to take a risk on too many Chelsea players, I don't think, for my FBL team. No, I won't either. He scored, actually, in Kunku uh, last night, I think. I think what's sometimes good is if you can find, like, a player who's going to plays for, like, a top-prem team and then move in. So, like, uh, Andreas Pereira last year went to Fulham. Uh, United mm-hmm. fans would have seen him in uh, pre-se- previous uh, previous seasons and seen what he's capable of uh, in glimpses. And he, t- he ended up in most people's team. Uh, yeah, I did just look. I've, I had actually added Alanga into my team thinking he was off to Everton, but that doesn't look like it's happening. But uh, if Rashford does play up front, maybe Garnacho. Uh breakthrough season last season if he gets more minutes could be one to have in there but uh yeah I always end up loading it with as many United players as uh as I can and that's a bit uh heart overhead which is normally why I tend to finish near the bottom of our leagues yeah on that note then chaps um first pod you're both Man United fans and we can look back on this in a year's time and see how wrong or right you were where how are Man United going to do this year where are they going to finish in the table and are they going to win anything uh, I part of me thinks that last year was like such a good building block uh, with getting back into the top four, won a trophy, uh, FA Cup final. Um, you know, City were obviously more dominant, but we lost to two long range Gundogan strikes. Uh, we probably should have won the Europa League, but we three 0 up against Seville. Uh, it all seems to be moving in the right direction, which would normally mean that I'd say that I'm really confident. Uh, but while City have still got Pep, I don't think the league's an option. You look at Arsenal strengthening like they are. Tottenham have got a new manager in uh, from Celtic, who looks good. Chelsea have got Poch in. Liverpool had a freak season last season uh, and will likely be back amongst it. Newcastle have got got uh, kind of good financial backing, uh, making some smart signings. Tenali, Harvey Barnes so far. Um, Aston Villa, Brighton we've spoken about so I guess I think I'd probably take which is not great for United fan I think I'd take top four in a trophy again um, Yeah, not really much to add to be honest apart from how, like when you go through that list how stacked is the Prem? Like, I don't yeah. like Newcastle top four bit of a freak season I don't think they're going to be as good next season just for the simple fact obviously Champions League will be their big Focus, especially at home. Um, obviously, Tonali coming in, good signing. Liverpool will be stronger. Chelsea can't be as bad as they were last year. I don't think, like, if you look at Postacoglu's record at um, at his clubs, they've always started a bit slowly, some just to sort of integrate into his way of playing. So maybe they won't be as good. Um, but yes, yeah, they, so they, they won't be as good as last year. No, well, no, they won't be as, as good as United, basically. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, along with what Murph said, basically, you'll have to you'll have to look at maybe top three behind City to win the league again, unfortunately. 
Arsenal were only getting stronger. Yeah, so third will be realistic. And then, and then maybe maybe the FA Cup, maybe the League Cup again, just building on it. And then, yeah, that's basically it. It's, it's a shame, really. But yeah, Pep Guardiola is kind of like, he's kind of like made it a one-team a one team league. And the, uh, the Prem as well now, it's like, I don't know, it seems like every away game is like hard. You add, you like go to Brentford. We're not mentioned Brentford. You know, we, we all know what happened to United there last year. Uh, that's always a hard place to go. Wolves at Molyneux suddenly put up a game. You know, so some all of these teams tend to be able to perform. I do think the teams that have come up uh, might struggle a bit. But, um, yeah, on the whole, it's like an anyone can beat anyone. You know, West Ham were down there last year, but, you know, the hairs blunder United lost. So, uh, we need to, if we're going to do anything, we need to uh, turn around our away from home form in the league. I don't think we won a game against uh, what what's coined as the big six teams away from home. Uh, and then we lost to Villa as well and Brighton as well. So, yeah, we need to sort that and turn that around. Uh, Leeds, obviously, championship now, Laura. What's, uh, what's that mean for your Premier League kind of viewing, I guess, less sort of stressed about Leeds results with uh, with them in the championship and more just enjoy the Prem? Yeah, I really like Ange Postacoglu, um, the Tottenham manager. I, I'd run for a brick wall for him. I've never, I've never met the geezer in my life, but everything I've seen from him, I love. Um, I love big Aussies. We've had some Aussies at Leeds over the years with Viduka and Kuehl and people like that. Um, and I think I think he's already doing it in pre-season. They need to go to a back four, don't they? I think to accommodate maybe a position for Madison to keep that pace on the wing. So, um, Kane can keep dropping in and playing how he's been playing for the last few years, but they're they're going to be my um, I don't know wants to watch maybe the team that I'm going to be looking out for this year, and I think that he might do something there. Um, and United, I think you'll be fifth. <laughs> I'll tell you who will be like a dark horse of a great player this season, in my opinion, is Eves Basuma. He struggled last year with with injuries, didn't really get in the team, but obviously at Brighton he was class. And we've sort of, he's almost like the forgotten man because they replaced him with Caicedo, who yeah. obviously is class in his own right and he's only young, 21. But yeah, Eves, Eves Basuma and Postacoglu has been talking him up in pre-season in his press conferences. So I think he could be one to watch in terms of having a sort of a baller season. Yeah, apparently he likes Ndombele as well. So that's going to be an interesting position because they've got Hoybier, they've got Benton Kerr. You're talking about Basuma, who you're right, was brilliant until this season. And Dombele as well, which is a bit out of left field. So sometimes with a new manager, um, it can give players a new lease of life, can't it? And uh, they can become good again. So let's see which Spurs, but I, I fancy them this year to do something decent just because I like the manager. I think with Spurs, it's as simple as does Kane stay? If he goes by Munich, PSG linked to him, I think. I don't think he's going to go to anyone in the Premier. I don't think Levy will allow it. But if, uh, if I guess Kane needs to make a decision if he's only going to be allowed to go abroad this season, would he rather go and win two, three league ones in France or three Bundesligas, maybe have a squeak at a Champs League or is a better uh, milestone for him to break the Prem record that he's probably on to do if he stays? So be interesting to see what his decision is there. He ain't leaving the Premier League. Not a chance. There is no way that he's going to give up that Premier League record. What? How many is he off it now? 40-something? 40-50-something? Yeah. He's definitely going to break that, isn't he, if he stays? Um, I don't think he's going to put, want to jeopardise that. I think if he had his way, obviously, he would have gone to City, was it last year or the year before? Um, and I think if he had his way now, he, 
he would probably go to Man United. But in Daniel Levy, they've got a bit of a, a wily old fox that keeps his business um, the way he likes it. And I think Kane will just stay at Tottenham. I think he'll stay there for the rest of his career now. Break the Premier League record and uh, that'll be in him. And hopefully somewhere along the way, him and Big Ange can, uh, can bring some success and some trophies to the club. Great stuff. I think uh, a good note to end on, guys. So big thanks to everyone for listening to uh, to our first episode of the uh, Pyramid podcast. Uh, be looking to, to obviously bring this out uh, weekly um, over pre-season, covering more transfer news uh, as signings are made, maybe seeing what that means for the uh, bookies' odds, any kind of uh, fluctuations there and new fancies. Um, keep up to date with pre-season scores and how teams are looking. Uh, obviously touch on FPL and then a whole host of other topics uh, as well. Uh, we didn't even touch on Saudi Arabia tonight, so a big one to uh, talk about. But yeah, thanks all for listening and uh, hope you enjoyed it and speak to you all soon. Cheers.